This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. As the legal heat intensifies for Donald Trump, he appears to have become increasingly unhinged. With no less than four, and yeah, I'm talking about four criminal investigations brewing, not to mention the increased scrutiny of the January 6th committee, Trump, for the first time in his entire fucking life, appears to be very, very afraid. Proof of his deteriorating mental state was on full display at last week's rally in Conroe, Texas, when he offered to pardon those who ransacked the Capitol. And if I win, we will treat those people from January 6th fairly. We will treat them fairly. And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they are being treated so unfairly. This hasn't happened to all of the other atrocities that took place recently. Nothing like this has happened. What that unselect committee is doing and what the people are doing that are running those prisons, it's a disgrace. The rally featured all of Trump's greatest hits, as usual. He even did a tedious, dramatic reading of the snake for old time's sake. But he added some new material that not only revealed his current anxiety level over his legal troubles, but also suggested he's developed an aggressive new strategy for dealing with them. These comments weren't just Trump rifting off the cuff, as he often does. They were scripted, and he read them off the teleprompter. Republicans on Capitol Hill today speaking out against former President Trump's comments at a rally in Texas over the weekend, where he reportedly suggested that he might pardon rioters who took part in the January 6th attacks. He also seemed to make a startling admission of what he was hoping to accomplish that day. As he was petulantly whining that trying to put me in jail, he also inexplicably claimed that he was being prosecuted by Hillary Clinton's law firm and the crowd immediately started chanting, lock her up. Self-awareness is not a strong suit among the Trump fan base, I can tell you that. But he went on to suggest to the state attorney generals in attendance who were in Texas for one of those border photo ops, that perhaps they could help him out and do something to put Hillary away. I got Hillary Clinton's law firm trying to prosecute me. This is the most corrupt system. So I've got the firm. Then there were the most startling comments of the night, also of course read verbatim from the teleprompter, with Trump calling on his supporters to take to the streets in those states in which he is being criminally investigated. It may very well be one of the most dangerous rallies that Donald Trump has ever given, and a sign of what's to come if he runs in 2024. The former president speaking to supporters in Texas, essentially calling for another insurrection if he ever faces charges in the multiple investigations into him, his business, or his coup attempt. If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Atlanta and elsewhere because our country and our elections are 
corrupt. The district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, Fannie T. Willis, took Trump rally comments seriously, calling on the FBI to secure her office because his statements were undoubtedly watched by millions. She added that she had already taken extra security precautions because of people, and I quote, unhappy with our commitment to fulfill our duties. Nevertheless, Willis vowed to press ahead, refusing to be influenced or intimidated by Trump or his MAGA shock troops. You know, enough of bending over backwards to give the former president the benefit of the doubt. He made, I think, a pretty direct threat, and, and she was right. This is the district attorney in Fulton County in Georgia, and she doesn't have a massive amount of resources at hand to protect her people and to protect the public as they enter her building. She was absolutely right to reach out to the FBI and I suspect that they'll give it very serious consideration because George says something that is so very true about Trump, as have you, Chris. He doesn't play games when it comes to his intent and this is all about what his intent was, whether that's the element that prosecutors have to prove to tie him up to the insurrection or whether it's what he intends to do going forward. He has made very clear statements. This is a man who asked people to violently eject protesters from his own rally. This is not a call from the former president for peaceful protests. This is a call from the former president for more of the same because there have been no consequences, at least for him personally for January 6th. As long as there are no consequences, he will feel free to continue on that same trajectory. Perhaps one wouldn't naturally assume that this was a call to violence if it weren't for the fact that the last time Trump called for a massive protest, his supporters, some of them carrying Confederate flags, stormed the Capitol and tried to hunt down the Speaker of the House and to hang the Vice President. Yes, he added, enough phony caveats for his defenders to say with a straight fucking face that he wasn't exactly calling for people to riot if he's prosecuted or specifically promising to pardon them if he wins the next election. But Trump is a track record of inciting violence. He has pardoned cronies who helped the Russian government interfere in the election on his behalf old friends and political allies like Steve Bannon and even war criminals. Why wouldn't some of his ardent supporters believe that they have a get out of jail free card as well? On January 6th, some of the horde that ransacked the Capitol justified their behavior by declaring our president wants us here. In floating the possibility of pardons, Trump reaffirms their belief that they were doing his bidding. I mean, they hear civil war. You know, to them, this this is the civil war they've been waiting for. You know, a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys live for this. They've they've been waiting for this. They've been um, they spend their lives preparing for it. They look forward to it. There's always there's a air of disappointment when it it, it doesn't turn violent with these guys. I think a lot of them. Trump is also inserting a martyr narrative into next fall's midterm elections with his insistence that the insurrectionists were aggrieved over zealous patriots who are now being politically persecuted for demanding a fair election. The far right in his party picked up on these comments immediately and ran with them, adding more fuel to the fucking fire. To be sure, Trump accidentally made an important point about treating them fairly. 
as it's unlikely the 45th president will ever pay any legal price for inciting a riot that temporarily halted Congress's certification of the election, once again, it's Trump's ground troops who are paying the price for their dear leader. Now, don't get me wrong, they're fucking culpable as hell. But there is a sense of absurdity that the man who set them loose and shouted fire in a crowded theater faces no criminal sanction whatsoever. Indeed, the lesson many are likely to take from the whole Trump presidency could be summed up in Nixonian terms. When the president does it, that means that it's not illegal. In my days in the bureau, we used to love it when a defendant was stupid enough to publicly make statements, sometimes from the courthouse steps, sometimes on local radio shows. We loved it. Um, go ahead, further incriminate yourself. Let's hear about what you wish had happened, what you conspired to have happened. Good news. Bad news? This guy, this former guy, is a clear and consistent threat to our security, to free and fair elections. When you have him saying, I'm calling for the largest protests ever in the context of prosecutors who are simply investigating him right now, when you hear the Fulton County DA has to now ask for help for security as she just simply convenes a special grand jury to look at things, when you hear two GOP candidates in Michigan in the same room talk about locked, come locked and loaded, be prepared. Um, another one saying unplug tabulation machines if you even sense that there's fraud. There's a, there's a strategy here. The strategy is one to dissuade people from trusting the results of an election, commit sabotage, threaten and intimidate people simply for doing their job. These can't be taken in silos. They all have to be taken together. So good news, I love it when Trump incriminates himself and I'm sure prosecutors do as well. Bad news, the prosecutors better step it up because he is a clear and consistent threat every time he speaks those words. But the former president's frightening rally comments were just the beginning of a torrent of verbal diarrhea that had him on Sunday saying that Pence could have overturned the election, acknowledging for the first time that the aim of the pressure campaign he focused on, his vice president, had simply been to change the election's results, not just to buy time to root out supposed fraud as he has long insisted. This is precisely the thing Republicans and even Trump's own lawyers have assured us wasn't the real goal on January 6th of last year, or was even crazy, or in Pence's own words, un-American. That's despite plenty of evidence that it was indeed an option Trump pushed for. And now we have this confirmation. Oops, you said the quiet part out loud, you fucking dumbass. I only hope the Fulton County DA's office was taking notes. Incriminate himself when he used the O word. When he said Pence should have overturned the election results, that's different from the previous big lie that Trump won the election. So now we have the former president of the United States admitting that he lost, but saying that he still should have remained in office. And if there wasn't enough crazy spewing forth from Trump's mouth already, he upped the fucking ante on Tuesday, calling on the January 6th committee to investigate Pence for not going along with his own illegal scheme. I mean, that's right. 
Trump wants Pence investigated by the committee investigating him for refusing his pressure campaign to overturn the fair election. This is fucking gaslighting folks on an industrial scale from an Olympic level bullshit artist. Then, the New York Times reported this week that Trump himself had directed Rudy fucking Colludi Giuliani to ask the Department of Homeland Security whether it could legally seize voting machines in three key swing states. Mr. Trump also raised in an Oval Office meeting with Attorney General William P. Barr the possibility of the Justice Department seizing the machines. Brand new reporting shedding light on what could have become a very dangerous, unprecedented power grab by the former president as he tried desperately to cling to power after losing the 2020 election. Proposals to use federal resources to seize voting machines, a bombshell. New piece of reporting in the New York Times cites multiple sources familiar with conversations inside the Trump administration and the Trump campaign that lays out just how the disgraced ex-president himself pushed to get federal agencies to do his bidding, only to be rebuffed by both allies and members of his own cabinet, for whom using the powers of the U.S. government to take voting machines and hand them over to conspiracy theorists in Trump's inner circle was, for them, finally, a bridge too far. That Trump was behind these efforts is of little surprise, but it underscores the danger he continues to pose to this nation as he gears up for a possible, and I don't think so, third presidential run with his MAGA ground troops once again, standing back and standing by to do his violent bidding should the toddler in chief not get exactly what he wants. It's so monstrous that people are, are still, many, many people, millions and millions of people in the country have not processed it, how naked and dangerous it is and how just utterly horrifying and so far outside any precedent that we've seen in any president of any party in the history of the country that people just can't compute. We're all sort of on tilt. I mean, some of us are not, but many people are just, it just doesn't, they can't make it, they can't make it make sense in their heads. And I think that's why the country is in such a state of peril because there's so many people who just haven't been able to just apprehend this very basic set of facts, even as Donald Trump tries every day to make it clearer to all of us what he tried to do and what he will do in the future. What's clear is that should Trump be reelected, which again, I don't think will happen, he has planned the kind of political retribution save for dictators and despots of the worst order. We'll get a preview of this political payback should the GOP retake the majority in the midterms with Trump demanding that the FBI be investigated for inciting the January 6th riots as well as comments from Newt Gingrich last week calling for the arrest of committee members. Uh, you're going to have a Republican majority in the House and a Republican majority in the Senate and all these people who've been so tough and so mean and so nasty are going to be delivered subpoenas for every document, every conversation, every tweet, every email, uh, because I think it's clear that this, these are people who are literally just running over the law, pursuing innocent people, causing them to spend thousands and thousands of dollars in legal fees for no justification. And it's basically a lynch mob. And unfortunately, the Attorney General of the United States has joined that lynch mob and is totally misusing the FBI. And I think when you have a Republican Congress, this is all going to come crashing down and the wolves are going to find out that they're now sheep and they're the ones who are in fact going to, I think, face a real risk of jail uh, for the kind of laws they're breaking. Trump's MAGA diehards love this tough talk. 
This is a central part of his ability to advocate for power for himself. Talk to Trump supporters and you understand that they don't view this as, as the sort of self-serving conflation of interest that it appears to be to outsiders. His most fervent base of support sees themselves arrayed against a powerful elite, the entire rotten and wretched political class, as Trump described it in Texas, but all of the other rotten, wretched people who wield power as well. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is none other than, yeah, George Conway. One of the founders of the Lincoln Project, along with Rick Wilson, Conway, a constitutional lawyer by trade, emerged from the 2016 election as one of Trump's fiercest critics. This would not have been so unusual. There were scores of never-Trump Republicans all over Washington looking to destroy Donald Trump. Only Conway is the husband of Kellyanne Conway, the former Trump strategist who remains to this day steadfastly loyal to the former president, often appearing on TV on his behalf. Over the course of four years, Conway's antagonism towards a man he thought to be a narcissistic sociopath became the stuff of legend. He famously wrote an article that pathologized the president is mentally unfit for office, if not outright insane, and tweeted images for the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, including pages with diagnostic criteria for narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. His pugnacious Twitter feed remains a must-read with his broadsides against the former president easily getting under Trump's skin. Conway was attacked by Trump and called a loser and a sick person who was jealous of his wife's success. All the while, Conway remained steadfast in his criticism, appearing regularly on CNN and within the pages of the Washington Post and The Atlantic. He joins me on Mea Culpa just days after Trump's disastrous Texas rally where he threatened political violence should he be prosecuted. In the days since we have witnessed Trump in full fucking meltdown as the reality of the various investigations against him take hold, Conway remains realistic though about Trump and his ability to wiggle free from accountability. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so George. On Saturday, Donald Trump brought his MAGA insurrection to Conroe, Texas. Now, the big takeaway seems to be the former president's plans to fight his legal problems outside of a court of law and in the streets. I mean, it's really fucking crazy. He encouraged people. It's fucking crazy. It's, it's beyond. So he encouraged people to engage in massive demonstrations in jurisdictions pursuing criminal investigations against him over January 6th demonstrations, as well as tax-related issues. Then, minutes later, he said that if he's reinstalled as president, that he would consider pardoning some of the January 6th Capitol rioters. Now, if you would, discuss with me how Trump's words constitute both a warning to Democratic lawmakers and an encouragement of his MAGA ground troops to sow chaos in the street should he be convicted of a crime. A normal person 
would hire a good lawyer, but he can't do that because good lawyers won't work for him. So this is his this is his trick. I mean, he's just doing the same thing he did leading up to January 6th. He's you know, playing the persecuted victim and, you know, inviting others to sort of fight on his behalf. Of course, he doesn't back them up. Um, uh, and now he's finally he's just uh, I mean, he's really losing it. Uh, I don't know what other other thing to say about it. He he, he, he totally is losing it. And, um, you know, the third thing he did this weekend, which was kind of interesting, was he basically admitted that he was trying to overturn the election. So he had a real trifecta this weekend um, uh, with, 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 you know, trying to incite people to, to rally on his behalf if he's prosecuted, promising pardons to insurrectionists. And then basically admitting that he was trying to, you know, overthrow the republic. It's just quite quite a trifecta. Okay, so let's let's sort of break this down for a quick second. We've watched this Trump's bullshit line, right? If in fact that you punch that guy, I'll pay your legal bills. Now we know that that's not true. We know that he doesn't pay legal fees. Correct. Just ask me. Just ask Rudy Colludi Giuliani. So to all of these folks that believe that he's going to pardon... Just ask any number of New York law firms. That's exactly... I mean, that was part of my job, was fucking some of these law firms out of money that they rightfully had earned. But he doesn't believe in paying anybody. But think about this for a second. That He claims that he's going to go ahead and pardon them for being part of the January 6th insurrection. I hope that they realize that it's just another Trump lie, that he's not going to pardon anybody because once he becomes, if in fact that he would become president uh, again in 2024, he's not even thinking about these people. In fact, he's not thinking about them today either. He doesn't need, he won't need them in 2024 if he gets reelected. And that's what, that's what everything is, as you can attest uh, with Donald Trump. Everything's transactional. What can somebody do for him? So, you know, some guy like Roger Stone you know, gets, gets his sentence commuted because Stone's an actual witness against him. And these people, you know, they're not going to get the time of day. You're absolutely right. But the point, the point, you know, about what he's doing is he, he's, he's going back He's legitimizing January 6th in a way that he started to try to do on January 6th, but was held back from because of his fear of a a backlash. He's, you know, he's glorifying what happened on January 6th. He's saying that January 6th um, was a great day and that that, that November 3rd was the real election uh, insurrection. I mean, it's getting he's getting more and more blatant about how he feels about what happened on January 6th. And that's actually good news for prosecutors who are serious about taking. His intent was to foment some kind of a, an insurrection a or something, you know, to intimidate the people on Capitol. Yeah, a coup. To in- intimidate really is the, is the thing, you know, Mike Pence and everybody else on Capitol Hill. He, he wanted that to happen. He watched it, you know, as Stephanie Grisham said, he watched it with glee well, while it was yes, happening. Yes, and she probably should have said something at that time instead of, you know, declaring it much later. But this is so much, this rally, this campaign style rally in Texas was so much more than just about January 6th. In essence, what's he doing? He's now threatening prosecutors. He's threatening Tish James. He's threatening 
He named him by he named him by name, Mark Pomerantz, claiming that because he's with Paul Weiss, that there's some sort of connection between Paul Weiss and Hillary, Hillary Clinton yeah. and so on. And he's basically warning them. What he did to me as well when he attacks you on, you know, fortunately he doesn't have it any longer, that Twitter feed. You know, he puts your life in jeopardy. He makes you think not once, not twice, but multiple times about whether or not you really want to pursue this or do you have to worry that some fucking lunatic from, you know, God knows where, who's wearing one of these, you know, Trump swastika shirts, right? Camp Auschwitz, that these, that these people will come looking for you. I mean, that's what he's doing. And he's trying to do it in the typical Donald Trump mob sense. Oh, I hope nothing happens, right? Of course you hope it happens. I mean, you know, he just, I was just thinking that last night. I was just thinking of, you know, this is not behavior of a former president of the United States. It's the behavior of a mob boss. And at least, you know, Tony Soprano had the, had, had the, had the decency to use code words and, and throw away cell phones. This guy just broadcasts it out in the public. You know, and and just lays it out there for everyone to see. And that's kind of part of how he gets away with stuff. It's so he's so brazen about it that, you know, the normally you say that if somebody's hiding something and they cover up documents and they and they do stuff and they do something secretly, you can say, oh, they knew that they they were doing something wrong. And he just goes out there and just does things that are wrong and says things that are wrong and things that, that, that are just completely outrageous. And. He gets away with it because he's so brazen about it, pretending that, oh, you know, he gets to pretend he gets to live his big lie by pretending that the election was stolen. So therefore, he's justified in doing everything he he can to overturn it or to complain about it. And the problem is, you know, it's all a big lie. And everyone, you know, maybe even some of his supporters know it. But the problem is they have they they all it it gives all these supporters and the people you're talking about the, the 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 sort of the permission structure to act on what he's telling them, which is how we ended up with January 6th and how we could end up with some kind of uh, violence. Well, he again. wants to sow the violence. He actually enjoys, you know, the violence, especially Correct. if it's he's done a- in his honor. He takes it as this is some sort Correct. of a acknowledgement or an affirmation that he is something more than just the dumb fuck that he actually is, right? And what does he do? <laughs> no, serious, George, what does yeah. he do? He then goes, no, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's classic, you know, it's, it's classic behavior of what the psychologists call uh, uh, and psychiatrists call a malignant yeah, narcissist. They, they are yeah. destructive and they are destructive because they care about nothing other than their own egos, which are also very delicate. And and they, you know, and they and they relish, you know, trying to control people and then and, and, and the power of, of, of it. He loves the power that he feels when then these people are just sucking it up and chanting lock them up and and lock, lock her up or lock whoever up and 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 they sort of draw something from him because they feel a part of something. There's something in their lives that's missing. And it's this 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 perverse and pathological symbiotic relationship that has led us to where we and are. We're today. in big trouble. And what he does too cleverly He's now enticing these folks to actually commit crimes, to be brazen, to go out there and to sow more chaos by dangling these pardons, you know, in their faces to the right. Don't worry. I want you to do what you think you think that I think that I want to do. And which point, whatever happens to you, 
I'm going to run, and I still don't believe he's going to run, and I'm going to win. And when I do, right, this is his words. Well, I mean, that's George, interesting. This is his words. If I run and if I win, we will treat those people from January 6th fairly. And I mean, you got to love his choice of words. We will treat them fairly. And it requires, and if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they're being treated, again, so unfairly. Right? So unfairly. This is all the repetition. It's the Stalinist, you know, in him, where if you say it over and over and over again, people will believe it. And the people that believed him for January 6th, who really, some of them have real serious mental problems, they're actually thinking he's talking to them. And don't worry, we'll give you a pardon. Yeah, I mean, it's also the Hitler big lie theory. Um, I, I, I'm curious, though. Now you said I could ask questions. Now, now you may be curious. Why do you think you said he, you don't think he's actually going to run? And I'm not sure I agree with that, but I, you know, you you have spent so much time with him, and you know how he thinks as well as anybody. Why do you think he's not going to run? Because he might he he might lose. Because or, he knows he what? will lose. And as we both discussed and we yeah. both know, because you know him, you know, uh, from many, many years ago, right? Um, he has an yeah. insanely fragile ego. And that's why he did not yeah. want to give up the office of the presidency, or in his case, the office of the dictator, simply because he would try to figure out how to stay on again and again and again without having to run. You know, when you start seeing things like President Xi of China, when you start seeing Vladimir Putin, when you start seeing Kim Jong-un, they don't have to run for office. It is their office until they say it's no longer their office. And that's what Yes, and that's why he wants to be them, and that's why he's trying to hang on to power, but he knows he can't win. Look, do you really think that um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis isn't going to run? Do you really think that Ted Cruz, who's, you know, basically been kissing his ass day in and day out, you know, isn't going to run? There's going to be more Republicans running in 2024 than there were when he was running, and there were 17 of them, because all of these people— Yeah, but that, that helps him. No, no it, helps it actually, him. It actually doesn't. Um, he may end up making it towards the top, but at the end of the day, he's going to be so wounded by all of the things that they're going to be attacking him. All, all of them. Let's say that there's twenty. Let's say there's twenty Republicans that are going to be running. Each and every one of them are not attacking Ron DeSantis or Ted Cruz or Matt Gates, assuming he's not doesn't go to prison for you know for sexual uh, for child molestation charges and so on. They're all going to be focusing on who? On Donald. Well, let me let me play devil's advocate there. I mean, I, I, I would love to see to live in a universe where everything you just said comes to pass. But the problem in 2016 was one of the problems was, you know, the vote was split 16, 17 ways. He had the best best name recognition, thanks to just being Donald Trump and, you know, the apprentice. And then the report. Uh, the, the Republican Party rules had kind of made it easier for a front runner to run off with it by providing that people would get all the delegates if uh, a winning candidate, a candidate who had plurality could get all the delegates in particular states, you know, after in March or April or May. And it just sort of accelerated an advantage of just being having the best name recognition. And, you know, if there are a lot of people who run against him in 20. 20, you could see a similar phenomenon. And then the other thing that has to happen is, um, you know, people left him alone in 2016. They attacked each other because they wanted each to be the 
opponent to Trump. And then they thought they could go after Trump, but it was too late and Trump got a free ride. I mean, here are these people, you know, and you mentioned Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is is terrified of saying of crossing Donald Trump. I don't know. DeSantis is willing to kind of poke a little bit. Um, but, you know, is he willing to sort of bet his political career on a, in a one on one shot in 2020 when he's got, you know, he's got 20, 30 years left um, as 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 a, as a in a career if because he's that young. So I, I just wonder whether or not the dynamic is going to be he's, you know, Trump is going to be less popular than he was this year. He's, he seems to be his popularity in the Republican Party seems to be dropping somewhat, but he's still going to have a core of supporters that are going to carry him over the line no matter what. And people like uh, and people Others in the Republican Party are terrified of crossing uh, that rabid fan base, if you will. I mean, look at what they were doing to Greg Abbott the other yes um, at, the, at the rally the other night. They were they were they were yelling "Rhino" at him because he wasn't sufficiently. They thought he wasn't sufficiently pro-Trump or anti-vaccine or whatever it is their grievance was. So I'm just wondering. I mean, I I, I I'm I hope that you know the, these cracks and these fissures that we. You know, they were detailed in a, in a nice New York Times article by Shane Goldmunker this morning um, are going to widen up. But I just, you know, I just feel like, why haven't we seen that yeah. already? Rest assured, between. But, you know, this yes, is an interesting debate. The AG here in New York, the DA, the Georgia, the pick issues and so on. Yeah. He's going to be so wounded. He's going to be like a real wounded animal. But it brings me to my. Well, that I, we can only hope so. I mean, you know, I, you, you know that the, the, the Mitch McConnells of the world want something to happen to him. Yep. From the legal stuff, they all, you know, secretly that's yep. what they the whole all Republican want. Party. Um, they're just waiting for him. Yeah, they are waiting for him to blow himself up, and then, but you know, none of them wants to have well, their That's true. But let me ask you this, George: If you watch carefully. Trump read his rant about wanting protests directly from the teleprompter, right? Which means that he fully intends to incite unrest should he be criminally charged. And he is going to be criminally charged. How is this not akin to shouting fire in a crowded theater? I mean, the man is clearly intending for there to be violence, and he wants to use the mob as his weapon. I mean, is this not the literal definition of insurrection? I mean, could all of this come up in trial? Should Trump ultimately be tried for conspiracy? If you would, just discuss this with me. Well, I, I, I think for as far as incitement of future um, bad events, I think it's too early to say whether or not this could constitute incitement. I think you'd have to do more or that's more, more specific over a period of time. I do think, however, that the things he, he did this weekend um, actually could be used as evidence uh, against him in connection with a prosecution uh, uh, of what happened on January 6th, because it shows his state of mind, um, the, the the granting of pardons and the praise of the people, what they did on on January sixth, that goes to exactly what 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 was he thinking on January sixth when he basically sat you know sat in his sat in his private dining room watching TV in the West Wing 
and did nothing, even though people were calling him up and begging him. His daughter was coming down and they were begging him. You have to go out there and say something. And then he takes three takes of a of a, of a, of a video that wasn't all that great. And who knows what he said in the first two takes. I mean, and, and, and apparently he was reveling in what was happening. He, he wanted that to happen. So that goes to whether or not he was inciting what happened on January 6th. It goes to whether or not he breached some kind of a duty, which could conceivably result in criminal liability to stop the mayhem when it happened and when he was watching it on TV. And then the other things that he did over the weekend, you know, it's the same modus operandi, as as you point out, Um, you know, this uh, 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 inciting people to do things in the future to the prosecutors, same MO. And it's, you know, there's a, as you know, you're a lawyer. I mean, you know, under the rules of evidence, similar acts in similar patterns can some can sometimes be admissible. And this is sort of like a similar, it's similar behavior. And then the third thing he did this weekend was that crazy statement that he had his spokesperson, Liz Harrington, put out, where he basically said a couple of times that, you know, his object was to overturn the election. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, I mean, you know, I, some, I said on I said on CNN this morning somebody should read his freedom as fucking yeah Miranda I, I I watched okay, you have the right to remain silent I, I did I watched it you know <laughs> two movies sort of come to mind when I was watching you discussing Donald's rally the first one right is from Forrest Gump I mean stupid is as stupid does right I mean there's just it is just absolutely <laughs> stupid and it's it's an it's inarguable. It is, just, it is just mind-blowingly yeah. stupid is right. The second one really comes from... The other night I was out with a bunch of friends. And um, when I started talking about, you know, Donald and some of the stupid shit that he does, one of the things that they said to me, why? Why do you think he's doing what he's doing? And it applies to this Texas rally as well. From the movie Batman, The Dark Knight... You remember there was a a scene there where Alfred says to Batman, some men just want to watch the world burn? That's Donald. Because he lost the election, Donald Trump wants to watch the world burn. That's, That's malignant narcissism. That's classic malignant narcissism. And he won. You know, and, and you know who even understood this? On February 13 of last year, um, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell gave a speech right after Trump was acquitted in the second impeachment trial. And he basically said Trump, because he lost the election, wanted to do as much damage as he could on the way out. Absolutely right. That's absolutely what happened on January 6th. It's absolutely what has happened ever since. And if he can't win the presidency back again, he's going to torch the country. Even in the process of, if you, you you may be right, he may not be run, maybe he won't run, but he, he's going to want to. He's exacting revenge. That's part of what he's doing right now, and he wants to exact revenge on everyone who he feels has wronged him, um, and and that's part of why he's endorsing. Uh, can he's attacking Liz Cheney? He's 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 attacking any number of uh, he's attacking the governors of Georgia and Arizona because he felt they wronged him. I mean, everything for a malignant narcissist. A lot of what motivates a malignant narcissist is, you know, vengeance, and that's yeah. Trump. You don't have to tell me about that, but you know, part of the yep, yeah, no <laughs> part shit. of the Trumpist party line is to valorize these January six rioters, not as rioters, but. As freedom fighters. Now, midterm candidates like J.D. Vance have run with this narrative and made it central to their own personal campaigns. 
How ultimately successful do you believe that this will prove to be as a political strategy with a majority of Americans polled wanting January 6th lawbreakers to be punished? Well, I, I think it's a self-defeating um, strategy for the Republican Party. But at the same time, for individual candidates, it can be a worthwhile strategy. If your object is to win um, a primary that is dominated by Trumpy voters and you, you are running in a district that is overwhelmingly Republican, your best bet is to play this card. I mean, you know, J.D. Vance was was no friend of Trump's just a few short years ago, and now he's become Trumpier than Trump. And that's what a lot of these candidates are doing. Uh, they, they basically either suppress any criticism they might have of Donald Trump, they go down to Mar-a-Lago and kiss the ring to try to get an endorsement, or they and 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 or they they engage in you know com, you know outrageous behavior like JD Vance, who you know of all of all things is a Yale Law School graduate, like the you know like uh, Stuart Rhodes. Uh, <laughs> sorry to say, and so it, it, you you just. I, I, the problem then is, well, where does that bring the Republican Party? If the Democrats are smart enough to basically play this the right way, which is to play it by saying, we're not the, they're the insane party. You don't want this insanity running the government. So that, that you know, the, the Democrats have to run against this. Um, and if they do, I mean, they're going to basically uh, drive the suburban soccer moms away the way Trump did. And there's a reason why there's a reason why Trump didn't do as well as congressional candidates and other can down ballot candidates in 2020. And um, I, at the end of the day, I, I think it does with the Republican Party, and particularly given the demographic trends, which aren't good. I mean, this is you know, this cohort, these cohort, the cohort that really supports Trump is largely older, you know, the older the Fox News viewer, um, you know, these people who are you know, these people who were marching on January 6th, a lot of them were, you know, uh, were out of breath because they're, you know, 55, like, you know, they're, they're, they're our age and they, and they, they, you know, they're not, you know, sooner or later, they're, they're not going to be voters anymore. And, 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 and this is alienating young people. So this is not who turned out in, in, in huge numbers to, to give Biden an enormous victory in 2020. It's a long-term self-defeating proposition for the Republicans but the Republicans are too paralyzed and too, you know, it, there's just too much of an internal cost to pay for Republicans to be able to do it, anything about it right now, which is why I say, you know, which is why I said earlier that you basically have all these uh, important Republicans who want to see something bad happen to Donald Trump, but don't dare. What's amazing is you use this term, you know, that they travel down to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring. I want I want to tell you and I want to tell my yeah. listeners. I was actually, well, that's true, ass. but I was the one that came up with that line many, many years ago when we, he was starting yeah. to contemplate a run for the governor's office. And I, they asked me why all these, you know, members of the oh, GOP were coming. So I said, they all came to kiss the ring. Do you know what this narcissist ended up doing? He pulled out the article that it showed up in first, circled it in big yellow. He wrote, and he goes, Michael. You are the greatest. Great line. Constantly use it. I mean, he loved the notion of kissing the ring because it's he a loved it, you know right. it's a a, a playoff right. of the Godfather, right? Right. He's uh, Godfather. Right. Yeah. He's like yeah, yeah Godfather, Godfather. Godfather. 
I'm so grateful you invited me to your <laughs> wedding on this day of great. Yeah, it is. You know. I mean, it is just batshit crazy. But then I want to ask you to get out your crystal ball so we could all wait for a quick moment as you take it out from underneath your desk. I, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I'm terrified yeah, well, by crystal balls because I, I. Well, just I would like for you to take out your crystal ball but, okay. and then predict, if you would, the right, outcome I'll, I'll of the it. midterm elections. I mean, it's something that I've asked all of my guests lately because, first off, how terrified are you of the inmates, and I know about this, taking over the asylum? And what does this country look like with someone like, I mean, fucking Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House? How much influence do you think that Trump will have then in legislating? And finally, are we that much closer to some kind of a showdown in the streets as they will clearly shut down the January 6th committee and likely try to impeach Biden for imaginary crimes um, as some kind of a political payback? I mean, what kind of chaos are we really looking at next fall if this in fact happens? Look, I think I think there's a decent chance the Republicans will take the House. I'm not sure about the Senate possible they take both but the house is what you have to watch because that's where all the craziness will erupt and they will do some crazy things they'll launch crazy investigations um i don't think they will do much serious legislating i don't think trump is capable you know and trump in terms of trump influencing that I, he's not really interested in, in legislation he doesn't you know he, he, he never did much of it when he was in pre when he was president i mean infrastructure forget about it i mean the stuff that, that he got through congress was basically congress is doing so i just don't know well, I, I don't know that he's going to have a lot of influence, but they're going to be kowtowing to him. And there's just going to be a lot of this performance art that, that, that seems to be dominating the Republican Party, where they just everybody just competes for attention so they can get fundraising dollars and, 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 and hits on Fox. And, you know, it's not you know, it's not it's not anywhere near near serious governance. And um, and there's going to be, you know, a division in in a divided government and it's just going to be partisan warfare for for two years and the only thing i can say that could the only good that i think could come out of it maybe is that people will see that 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 the current republican party at least especially the house version of it is just so insane that you can't you just can't vote for these people even if you even if you have qualms about the democrats and, and their policies but we'll see um I, you know, I, don't, I, I really don't want to predict too much. I do think there's a decent chance, as everybody else does, that the, that the Republicans win the House. I mean, it's just a thin, thin margin. It's an off year. Uh, Biden's not doing well in the polls. And then, you know, I mean, it's just I don't know how many times out of 10, but usually the case that the that the that the party in, 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 the, in the White House loses seats in the House. And yeah. Know, and the, what they always say the is that the lose. midterm goes to the party. That's not in the House, uh, meaning the White House. And yep. much of it uh, is always predicted back to the current president's approval rating. And I'm going to tell you, I have a very hard time sometime re sometimes reading these polls that come out where, you know, Biden's approval rating is not great. And one of the problems, for example, is you have to watch to see what these, um, what the GOP, what Fox, OAN, Newsmax, and all of these um, periodicals that are constantly attacking Biden, they even attacked him, which is what I think that they will try to impeach him on if, in fact, they take the House, is Afghanistan. They're going to claim that it was a complete fuck-up, that everything went wrong the whole bit. And the funny thing is, he was just finishing up Trump's leftover mess. 
but nobody wants to talk about that. And absolutely. they're going to bring him up on everything, no, George. They're going to they're going to run him yeah. through the mill. And you're right. I'm not so sure that he will ultimately be convicted the same way that Donald wasn't twice. But nevertheless, it's political payback for what? Then, of course, don't let's not forget if Trump has any say in anything at all. Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Ukraine, that shit's coming right back to life. There's nothing. The problem is there's not a lot there. And, um, you know, I mean, they're going to do this. And, and I don't I, I don't know that at the end of the day, it's going to do them much good. I, I, that's the thing, because they don't they're not going to have anything. And people get tired of this. They're, they're getting they're going to get exhausted of this. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I don't think. You know, the Benghazi didn't really do the Republicans any good. They spent a lot of effort on it, but nobody knew. Nobody can to this day. Very few people can explain what the hell that was about. So I, 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 I don't think. I think they're going to cause a lot of chaos, uh, but I think at the end of the day, I, I, I think they're going to end up fighting themselves as much as fighting anyone. They, there's a tendency there. They, they, they are not. These are not people who work, who are interested in government governance, and they don't. They don't even work well together. Um, so I, 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 I think that that even if they win the house in twenty twenty two, I think they're going to end up doing themselves harm. You know, a lot of moment. people, though, but George, we'll would see. turn around if you were, you know, a member of the GOP. They would turn around and tell you that you can use that exact statement that you just made when you're referencing the two impeachment trials against Donald, that it didn't do anything for the Democrats. In fact, it possibly hurt the Democratic Party. Oh, that's right. And, and, and that's, that's one of the reasons why Nancy Pelosi was sort of a latecomer to the impeachment bandwagon. In, you know, it, it took the Ukraine matter for her to you know, pull the trigger on that, the multiple counts of obstruction that were identified at length in the Mueller report weren't sufficient. And, you know, she was very much conscious of the fact that it takes, you know, it takes an incredible amount of public support to to impeach a president and remove him from office because it's never been done. And you really have to people really have to be fired up um, in the public and understand exactly what's going on. And you have to grab their attention. And um, at the same time, it, it's going to be hard to get in a polarized political environment, get 67 votes to convict in the United States Senate. So you're basically engaging potentially in a, in a futile act. And she she basically dragged her heels on impeachment for political reasons because for a long time, because, you know, she understood that her majority depended on these purple districts where there were Democrats who had won in in you know uh, rural and conservative districts, and so so it, it took the Ukraine the outrage of 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 him um, extorting an, an ally um, for her to basically say we have to do this at that point, and I don't think she did it because she thought there was going to be huge political upside. I think she did it at that point because it was at, it, it, she couldn't not do it because of what what he had done. So yeah, I I, I don't I, I don't think. You know, impeachment, I don't think, is necessarily a political plus. It didn't help the Republicans in 1998 when they impeached uh, Bill Clinton. And I don't know that, you know, unless you have something that the public's truly outraged, I don't think it will help the Republicans in 2023. 
Um, that, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, because there's not a political benefit to it, that sometimes it isn't, isn't it isn't. It's right to it doesn't mean that it's not right to impeach a president. It was right to impeach Donald Trump twice because he did commit high crimes and misdemeanors um, within the meaning of the Constitution. He did violate his oath of office twice. Um, and frankly, if the Senate had done its job the second time around, if Mitch McConnell probably you know looks back and bruised the, bruised the moment he decided not to encourage his 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 uh, fellow caucus members to vote to sh- strip Donald Trump. Um, in February, the February 2021 trial of the ability to run for office in the future. That was a missed opportunity for him and for the Republican Party. It was also just the, the wrong yeah, thing. You know, to do. when I was talking about a poll um, about the midterm uh, coming midterm elections, the poll I was actually referring to is um, NBC had a poll whereby they believe that the Democrats are going to take a shellacking. And then they go ahead and they give like this little history lesson. As far as during the course of my life, There's only been, I think, two times where the party that was controlling the White House actually gained House seats. One of them, believe it or not, was President Clinton. And the other one was George W. Bush, who both had approval ratings north of 60%. So if you take a look to see where are we at right now with Joe Biden, he's somewhere in like the low 40s, 41, 42%. So my recommendation, if I was able to sit there and sit down with the guy I would say, first and foremost, many of these uh, messages from the White House that he's doing, it's too much. You know, we came off of a situation where Donald never went before the camera unless it was something for, again, stroking his own ego, where he put up a big gigantic sign of what the stimulus check was going to look like. And of course, the biggest signature, right, was, was like if it was on the Constitution, was Donald's signature at the bottom. Remember when he stopped uh, Steve Mnuchin from having his name on the stimulus checks because he wanted his, right? These, these are real issues. What he needs to do is he needs to, in my estimation, he needs to get Merrick Garland on. There's so much misinformation, disinformation that's being put out there. There's so many individuals that have violated our constitution and they managed to just slide by. And I think that's eroding the country's faith in our democratic process. And it's giving the Foxes, the OANs, the Newsmax an opportunity to take advantage of that misinformation, to continue to promote it, continue to sow this chaos and so on. And interestingly enough, it has the opposite effect of what you would think, which is that people would walk away from that party of fucking liars and go to the party that actually wants to do something good for the country. But it's not happening that way. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I, your point about Garland, I, I, I fear may be right. I think the one bright spot in the near future, I think, will be these televised hearings from the January sixth select committee. I think that they are, we, we, you know, some of the evidence is kind of filtering out now. They're dribbling a little bit out, but I, I, from what I. I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. And I think there's going to be a very, I think if they do this correctly, and they seem to be very skilled at, 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 at this, um, this particular group of people, um, they're going to tell a story about January 6th and about what happened in the 2020 election that I think is going to be captivating. And I maybe it can be just, we can ho- only hope it, it's, a, it's a massive um, positive civics lesson for the country, um, particularly the people in the middle who, who don't, who kind of, 
you know, think it's all just a lot of noise. And maybe maybe some good can come out of that. And 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 yeah, who knows? Could have maybe it might affect the 2022 midterms, and certainly it, it might affect um, you know Donald Trump's political yeah. future. Yeah. Well, one can only hope, but I don't have confidence in that. But I do want to say this, George. On Friday, you retweeted an interesting post from Juliet Kayyem that read, and I quote: "The fake electors' investigation is like the Dundun theme in Jaws." First slow, like it seems not a big deal, but then it picks up speed for the catch. Now, across multiple states, using the same language, lots of people were told to sign a document key to Trump's plan. It is, it's the sound of dread. If you would, unpack what you think she means for my listeners, and how consequential will this wind up being, and will this be the final nail in the coffin for Rudy Colludi Giuliani? Well... That's an interesting. Well, those are all interesting questions. I mean, I think what I'm actually in retrospect surprised that these fake electoral certificates didn't get as much play a year ago. And they did. But but there was just so much else going on, the violence on Capitol Hill and the attempt and and the, the attempts to 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 launch objections on the floor of the House and on the Senate and and Trump's rhetoric that. These these electro these fake electors meetings, which were viewed at the time as oh yeah they're having this is just political show, um, kind of got washed away in all the noise. When in fact, you know, when you submit a false document to the government, you're vi- you're violating any number of federal laws when you do that, and um, you you could be conspiring to defraud the United States. You could be violating the false statement statutes uh, one thousand one. There. Are any number of statutes that you could be you could be you you could be charged with, including uh, again the, the one one charge that is uh, being levied against many of the rioters in January six, which is attempting to obstruct a, a congressional proceeding. And these, with with two exceptions, possibly a couple of states, they carefully said, you know, this is contingent upon something or other, contingent upon finding that we actually won the election. These were basically copying the forms that you're supposed to use for the victorious electoral slate in a state where the, you know, the presidential candidate actually won. And these things were false and they were submitted to the National Archives. They were submitted to the Congress of the United States. They were filed in federal district courts, according to under the Electoral Count Act throughout the nation. And, you know, that's just illegal. And to get people to sign fake documents is conspiring to do that kind of is conspiring to engage in 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 serial illegality. And I think you're right. I mean, I think this this could be this this could be trouble for Rudy Colludi. And it it also is it could, you know, I mean, to the extent it was done with Donald Trump's knowledge, which it probably was because it was a you know, he, he, Rudy was doing it and it was part of the plan that was laid out. They were cited in John Eastman's legal memo. Um, you know, this was part of this was part of a multi-pronged effort to disrupt and to prevent Joe Biden from being elected president um, by Congress in Congress by the counting of the electoral votes on January 6th. It was an attempt to obstruct that proceeding and it was multifaceted. And this is may actually be one of the easiest aspects of well, it. The, see, that's the thing that frustrates not just my listeners, but it's frustrating all Democrats that are out there and all independents that are out there, that our that our Justice Department is so slow 
across the board when it comes to Donald Trump. For example, we already know here in New York, according to, you know, Tish James, that he overvalued his primary residence. And of course, you know, because you know, he used to live in a Trump building as well, right? He overvalued that property like 300%. He claimed it was 33,000 square feet. It's 11,000. He claimed it was worth 250 million. It was worth under 100. And he did it for the purpose of being able to inflate his personal financial statement, all for what? So that he can get preferential loans and rates when it comes to, you know, insurance or borrowing money, right? That's a crime. So why are we worrying about everything else? Just when you have, when you have the meat, just put it on the fucking barbecue. Let's go. It's like, it's, what are you saving it for? And that to me is what's driving people crazy. Yeah. I mean, anything he did, it's illegal to that, you know, under New York state law would also, you know, under the tax law or as um, bank fraud and would also violate, you know, it would violate federal tax law or the mail or wire fraud statutes or bank fraud statutes. Yeah, it's all you everything. All of it is just, you know, there's there's there there, there would be a corresponding federal charge to every potential state charge that, that probably probably that they're looking into. And, you know, why I, I, why they've left it completely to the to the to the to the AG and to the district attorney's office is, is, is a grand mystery to me. I mean, I understand why why it was done, you know, until January 20, 2021. But I, I don't understand why it was not. And I wrote a piece in The Washington Post not long that came out just after the inauguration. It basically said that what what. Um, Attorney General Garland should do is appoint multiple special prosecutors, one to deal with the New York stuff um, and one, you know, one could deal with the Stormy Daniels stuff. One could deal with January 6th related stuff. And, and you know, there, there were just, and one could deal with Ukraine. Uh, uh, one could deal with actually maybe the, one would deal with also the um, obstruction that, that was uh, dealt with in the uh, Mueller report. I mean, there were just so many things that, you know, any of us. Other, if we, anybody other than he would have been, would have been investigated to a fairly well. well I don't think you'd be investigated. I think you would be attached to a tree and executed. I mean, it's it's really it's gotten <laughs> to a point where, well, after after a fair trial. Well, not if Trump has trial. anything to say with that. But what what ends up happening? People turn around, George. <laughs> people turn around. They're like, wait. What else does this motherfucker have to do before he's finally brought to justice? And the answer that they're saying is. No one's going to touch him because he's the former president. And it's so unusual. We've never in this country been in a situation where the former president is being charged or is being investigated, I should say, into about 30 different crimes. And, and, and to, to, you know, and, and to basically let it all slide is to say that presidents and former presidents are above the law. And that's particularly, particularly true here. In a circumstance where you're dealing with the one president of the United States who actually tried to end constitutional democracy in the United States by by overturning a free and fair election and basically making himself president for life. So, I, you know, I'm with you. You know, there, I constantly repeat this, and it's, again, worth renoting. There was a time where he heard a statement that somebody made about Vladimir Putin, and that statement if you take that statement and compare it to everything that's going on right now, 
It doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the votes. And he used to say that in the office all the time, literally all the time. That's that. What that was Stalin. Yes. That was that yes. was Stalin. Yeah, Stalin yes, said but, that. Yeah, but Vladimir you, you, Putin. You, you, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but Putin has taken it to, of course, the extreme. Let's. I mean, let's oh, not yeah, forget. Absolutely. All. All. All authoritarians. Uh, that. That's their. I that's mean, you recall. You yeah, recall I mean, George you know, when. He, he, this, you, you recall yeah. when, uh, for example, Putin had. Um, he wasn't able to run because of the Russian constitution. It was right, which was the two terms. And so he made uh, himself into the prime, right, to the prime minister. Yeah. And then after that, they changed the rules that he could run as often as he wants. And he always yeah. wins by like 92%. It's always a landslide. That's what Trump wanted to do. And if people just listen to that one sentence, right, which is something Trump used to repeat over and over again, and then put into perspective what he's doing right now with the electoral votes, with going after governor's offices and redoing these electoral, um, you know, counters and so on. This is what he's trying to do. He's setting it up for the future. And if he's not healthy enough, God forbid, you know, we're going to have, you know, coke sniffing Don Jr. all over the place. Right. Don Jr. will run or your princess Barbie Ivanka or one of them will end up running. Not Eric. He's too stupid. But, you know, even his father will ultimately admit that to himself. But he'll put somebody he'll designate somebody so that he could be the king. Right. From Mar-a-Lago. I, you know, I, I, I hopeful that none of that ever comes to pass. I don't think any of them are capable of doing that. But, yeah, I mean, he wants to. He, he certainly wants to rig the game in his own favor. That's what he's spent his entire life <laughs> doing. God. You know who better be really careful, George? People like Bezos, people like Elon Musk, uh, and, and so on. Because the first thing Donald would do if he took over, he would do exactly what Mohammed bin Salman did, what Vladimir Putin does. He would go to Elon Musk and he would say, Elon, how much how much are you worth, Elon? What, what's your net worth now? So he'll say, I don't know. So That's a nice car company you have there. <laughs> so he'll turn around and he'll go, about $300 billion. He'll go, try again. Yeah. How much do you think you're worth? So he'll go, no, $300 billion. He goes, you're worth $10 billion. I just took two ninety, And he'll do that to Bezos and everyone else, very much like what Mohammed bin Salman did. He'll put them in the Ritz-Carlton, hanging them upside down, and do whatever he needs to do in order to have them sign over their wealth. That's what he wants. He wants to be the richest man in the world. He wants to be the most powerful man. He is batshit crazy. Which brings me to this question to you, George. Last week, Norm Eisen wrote an op-ed for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that outlined the historic task ahead for the grand jury convened by D.A. Fannie Willis. Now, Eisen further goes on and he writes, and I quote, This ability to fully investigate and subpoena evidence is critical because the publicly available evidence may support charging Trump with several crimes under Georgia election law and other criminal statutes. How strong a case against Trump is there in Georgia? And where else could he find himself in similar legal jeopardy for this kind of election fraud? Well, the Georgia case is quite remarkable because he was recorded on tape asking for a specific number of votes, saying, all I need is 11,000, I think it was 780 votes. That's just one more than we you know, lost by. And that's just an 
I mean, that that was just batshit crazy thing to ask for. And 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 Raffensperger recorded that. And I I you know there are I, I'm, to Norm's credit, Norm has done a great job. He and um, some other people for the Brookings Institute wrote a you know basically this tome explaining how. Uh, all of these things could violate Georgia law, and it's these are it's a pretty substantial case um, that that could be brought there. So I, you know, um, you know, I hope that I'm hopeful that uh, the, the the special grand jury that um, is going to be impaneled this spring in in Fulton County, um, you know, pours through all of this and gets through all of and this. And yet, it goes right back to what we just finished talking about. We're all fucking exhausted. It's called Trump. It is it's called Trump fatigue. Right. And what and what Absolutely. what we're all tired of. How many more hearings are we going to have? How many more of these? He's fucking dead. He's dead in the water. They, wait till they impanel this and so on. And then somewhere along the line, new chaos comes up and then there's a new investigation. And then they're going to find that there's, of course, no text message or emails because he doesn't do that. But you're going to get 50, 60 people coming up talking yeah. about what he was doing on January 6th, why he waited 187 minutes before, you know, going out there and making the stupid statement that he did. But George, last week, Politico revealed the existence of a stunning executive order that was actually never signed, but showed the extent to which Trump would have gone to stay in power. Among other actions, it ordered the seizing of voting machines by the Department of Defense. I mean, it's described as a literal fucking coup. Who drafted the memo is still a mystery, although it's been widely ridiculed as being riddled with typos and formatting errors and basically drafted in crayon. Now, if it's drafted in crayon, we know who did it, right? Still, the content of the memo is terrifying, right? I mean, it is. It's fucking terrifying. What does it say to you about what is going on behind the scenes at the time? And how do you think the existence of this memo will ultimately help the January 6th committee? Well, I think what was going on at the time were that the inmates were running the asylum. And and there was, you know, there was a rear guard action by, I think, people in the White House Counsel's Office and maybe at the Justice Department to stop it. But, you know, people like, um, Sidney Powell and Michael Flynn were, you know, running loose in the White House. Mike, Mark Meadows was allowing these people to, to 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 suggest these crazy ideas into the into the ear of a crazy president. And I mean, the notion that a, a document would be generated that's in the White House files that it would, you know, that would contemplate such things, which have basically no basis in law would violate many laws. It would basically violate the Constitution. The notion that any of this could even get the, the light of day in the West Wing is is just, it's insane. And I think that, you know, I think one of the things the January 6th committee is going to be able to shine a lot light on is just the level of craziness that, you know, Trump had reached and others around him um, had reached. And how how nutso some of these people were, and I you know I, I, it's just scary that anybody that some of people who are advancing this stuff could have you know were, were anywhere near the White House grounds. Near it, they were sitting in the office with him. They were in the office. Let's, just, I let's just add to that list: Steve Miller, Steve Bannon. I mean, you know. Jared, who was out there, not Jared is the same narcissistic sociopath 
that Donald is. Ivanka married her father, just obviously a whole lot thinner. And it's, in, it's crazy, simply because he doesn't give a fuck about anything other than now working with Middle Eastern money for his hedge fund. I mean, this, is, this guy is yeah. one of the worst fucking businessmen in New York, made, making some of the worst real estate deals. And people, somehow he pulls together over two, three billion dollars into a hedge fund? Get the fuck out of here. I mean, this is insane. <laughs> That's a mystery well, it's, to it's, me. It's not a mystery. Yeah, it's it, somewhere it a, along the line. Yeah. It's payback for probably selling the Middle East, you know, armaments at a reduced price because Jared flew there a handful of times completely off the radar. I mean, this is this is what he does. He creates this internal group of fucking grifters that each and every one of them are thinking not about the United States of America, but about enriching themselves. And we will pledge our fealty to the, you know, the Fuhrer, to the Supreme Leader, so long as we're able to get ours. I mean, it's, 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 it's so crazy. It reminds me of like the movie Young Frankenstein. You remember there was that line, it's the nonsensical rantings of a lunatic mind? That's Donald. I mean, and the more crazy shit that he keeps spewing... The more, the more that that group of sycophantic followers of his, they just stay the course and they continue to fight for him. Like, again, if they were fighting for, you know, their religious rights, they're for their God. Scary shit. Well, well let me say this. I want to say something nice about Jared. Relatively nice. I mean, I'm not a fan of Jared's. And what, you know, a lot of what I... I believe a lot of negative things about Jared. But what I think was interesting about Jared in late 2020 and early 2021 is he basically absented himself from all the stop the steal stuff. He knew how crazy it was. And, you know, he took, he took one of his trips, to, I think the, the Middle East, um, just to get away from it all. And he made damn sure he had nothing to do with January 6th. And, um, you know, he, he knows how crazy his father-in-law yep. is. And uh, he just was there along for the ride to see, you know, what he could get out 100%. Okay. So big picture time now, George. After all the dots are connected yes, about who was involved in January 6th, it's my belief that it will prove that Trump presided over a vast criminal conspiracy to overturn the election. Now, when his own people inside the government failed him, and then the courts rejected him, he now turned to the mob and incited an insurrection. Even if this is proven, what will be the political outcome in your opinion? Are there enough persuadable voters who aren't already outraged that this will cause an uproar? Because short of referring Trump to the DOJ for criminal indictment, what's, desi what's the desired outcome for you here? Oh, to make sure this guy get, never gets near the Oval Office again. And I think that, you know, if if all of this stuff comes out and is understood and presented well to the American people about January 6th, uh, you know, I mean, what happened in 2020 was this, this massive, massive turnout to make sure he didn't stay in office. And I think that if Trump were actually to run and become the nominee of the Republican Party, which you question, and I hope you're right, but if that were to happen, I think you'd see a similar groundswell, um, and I think you'd be, you know, you'd be able to elect my dog president if, was, if she were running against Trump in 2024. But that said, 
it's going to be very it's going to be a very traumatic campaign. He's going to he's going to try to take down as much of the country with him as you know as he can and, and cause as much disruption and chaos as possible because that's that's just his deal. He, he wants to see that, and so we'll see. Sickness, but you know, George, um, as I said to you earlier on, the hour goes by very very quickly. So I have one last question for you. And I want to change gears for a moment and discuss the strange romance, this bromance that some members of the far right have with Russia and Vladimir Putin. From what I understand, there is a belief that Russia and Putin are somehow the saviors of white Christianity. Now, in an important piece from The Atlantic that you retweeted by Ann Applebaum, she writes, and I quote, Their motives are curiously familiar. All around them, they see degeneracy, racial mixing, demographic change, political correctness, same-sex marriage, religious decline. The America that they actually inhabit no longer matches the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant America that they remember or think that they remember. And so they have begun to look abroad, seeking to find the spiritually unified ethnically pure nations that, they imagine, are morally stronger than their own. Nations, for example, such as Russia. Now, I was hoping that you could unpack this for my listeners and discuss how this impacts the viewpoint of folks like fucking Tucker Carlson, who's absolutely insane. Ann Applebaum is just a terrific journalist and a terrific writer about um, authoritarianism and and the dangers and threats to democracy. And, and the point she makes there is, is a good one. And it's consistent with what other scholars point out. When, when you have an authoritarian or fascistic movement um, that's undermining democracy, I and mean, one of the things they do is they create an image, they try to create an image of a, a past glory that, that a nation had that it needs to reattain. I mean, Hitler did it in the 1930s uh, by talking about the, the stab in the back theory. I mean, he's trying to bring a nation back to its to its rightful place in history. And you see a lot of that nostalgia um, in any kind of group that becomes sort of um, attached to a a charismatic uh, authoritarian leader. I mean, that's the you know the whole red hat thing was make America great again, and that was what that was about. And part of it also is they they look abroad. They often look abroad for examples and models that they say, look at this utopia in, in, in this other country. You know, I mean, it, it happened with the left, the left of the authoritarian left in the United States. The communists, you know, would 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 glorify the Soviet Union and, and leave apart the fact that Stalin killed tens of millions of Ukrainians and Russians and leave apart, um, you know, the, the oppressive nature of the Soviet regime. There's this, there's this want to, to there, there is this desire and necessity to create some kind of a utopia that is the aim of, 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 of the object of the political movement. And here, you know, it, it, it's crazy as it is. Some people are glorifying Russia and, and in they're also glorifying and Tucker Carlson's guilty of this in particular. I mean, he did a bunch of shows from, from Hungary. They're glorifying Orban. And uh, uh, Trump is praising Bolsonaro. I mean, the, these these birds of a feather, they flock together in this way. And they, they look at each other and point to each other as, we can, we, this is the success we can have if you only follow what I say. And, you know, the, 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 the dear leader 
um, uh, approach, this this authoritarian approach to um, uh, to to politics that that is is is, is enchanting to people who don't want to think deeply about politics and don't want to think about how messy life in a democratic republic necessarily but is. But George, there's a big problem with even the things that Tucker Carlson, um, you know, is repeating. I mean, this whole notion of political correctness, right? This uh, degeneracy, racial mixing, demographic change, political correctness, same thing, religious decline, right? So basically, they're looking to try to create some sort of a, you know, of, again, ethnically pure nation. The problem is nobody today, or almost nobody, few people are actually ethnically pure, there's mixture from all over the place, and it doesn't make a difference, you know, where, you, where you're from. I mean, my, myself, my father born in Poland, my grandmother Argentina, you know, my, um, what do you call it, my great-grandmother was in from uh, Odessa. You know, I have, it's, there's mix all over the place. There is no ethnically pure. This, this concept really doesn't exist unless you're one of these indigenous tribes that are living inside of, you know, you know, um, the, the rainforest. You know, it just doesn't exist. And even they intelligently go to other tribes so that they don't end up with, you know, ethnically pure nations. Because as we all know, uh, bad things happen when you're marrying, you know, your own relatives. You know, there are, there are issues that pop up. Hey, stop, stop, stop attacking Rudy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. Uh, it, it's, it's nuts. The whole thing is crazy. And I don't understand why people in America are following. But George, let me thank you as always. Uh, let me wish. This was a lot of fun, I Michael. Really, it's I been really, too long. I really appreciate your time. It's good to be able to see you again. It's been a long time. Send my love to everybody, please. It really has. And um, stay in touch. Yep. And keep fighting the fight. Be good. Thank you, George. Thanks for having me. And now for today's mea culpa. In speaking with George Conway, I'm reminded of the deep political sickness that has enveloped this country since Trump took office and intensified to where we are today. We are now faced with a kind of counter-revolution in the form of the midterm elections. Should the GOP retake the majority, Trump's influence will no doubtably push the party to seek retribution while abandoning any pretense of wanting to know the truth. Since last year, Republicans have increasingly signaled how they plan to exact vengeance on those who've tried to make them and their leader, the Fuhrer Donald Trump, pay any price for the coup attempt following the 2020 election. For his part, the twice-impeached former president has his own wish list of conspiracy theory-fueled ideas for how to get even, and he has personally pushed other GOP figures to commit to them. Should this come to pass and the GOP is set loose investigating that which it knows to be total fucking bullshit, we will have entered a new wilderness. The snake will have finally eaten its own tail and will begin to devour itself. This process, known in ancient mythology as Orboros, denotes the eternal destruction and recreation of all things material and spiritual. I wish that I could say that we are close to rebirth. In front of us, I only see the politics of destruction, a kind of 
eternal nihilism on the part of the GOP to retain power and exact retribution. Somewhere in this process, though, we will hit fucking rock bottom and the politics of destruction will cease to work. Until then, we'll have to hope to the almighty God that the Democrats pull their heads out of their asses and find a cohesive fucking political message that pushes back against a surging red wave. If not, the almighty snake, which Trump loves to quote at his rallies, will devour us in whole. And more importantly, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. Oh,